0: I think when you've had the opportunity to work with people in person, it's much easier to work with them in a remote environment because you have a context. Again, it's kind of anecdotal, my experience, but if I needed like help on a project, if we had a crisis on something, those people that I had working relationships with in the office where you have this casual interaction and you learn about things that are going on because you just, happen to chat about it that you miss when you're remote those are the things where you build the relationships and you know not necessarily know who you can count on but you develop an impression about who you can count on so I think that in person is really important not just for orientation but for having some baseline for working together in person
1: Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. I'm convinced there is a circle of hell called new employee orientation. It's a conference room where eager fresh faced new hires are sent to have all of the joy and hope bored out of them by a series of unprepared department heads who drone on and on often delivering unnecessary information with little context as to how it fits in the new hires role in the organization. Now, That is the hellscape version, and many employers recognize their robust and engaging orientation program is an important piece of a new hire's onboarding experience. Still, other employers don't have any orientation program, leaving new hires to figure out on their own how things get done and who to ask for what. To help sort out what employers need to accomplish with new employee orientation, I'm joined today by Catherine Clifton. Catherine is an attorney and partner in the employment law firm Ross Ganaway Clifton, where she consults with employers about a wide range of employment law issues. Before joining Ross Ganaway Clifton, Catherine spent over 20 years working in public sector employment law here in Texas. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Catherine.
0: Thank you, Mike. Longtime listener, first time caller. I think you know I you uh, go. got a lot of my recertification credits that I needed to recertify this past June. By watching Good Morning HR. So, thanks for that.
1: I just ask that people not listen to the podcast while they're driving. I don't want anybody falling asleep and having a car wreck. So, uh, that's the only request I've got. But otherwise, you get 30, 30 minutes a week of research credit just by listening to me ask dumb questions of smart people. So, but let's start with one of those. Why do we even need new hire, you know, new hire or new employee orientation? Can't we just tell them to RTFH, read the freaking handbook?
0: We could, we could. It, it makes it a little more difficult to have the defenses that we need um, in the event that there's a complaint later. There are also, um, that brings up an interesting note on how you do this orientation process and something to keep in mind when we talk about options later. And that is when you say to somebody, hey, take this home and read it, just sign here that you've received it. Are they being compensated for that? You have an FLSA issue because you sent them home to read that. Um, and then how do you know how much time they spent reading those policies? And the reality is, I think for most employees, they're not going to read it. Because when do employees read handbooks? When they're upset about something. Or when yeah. or when they need to use a policy, which isn't always bad. Sometimes it's the same thing as being upset about something. Um, so, you know best case scenario is that you do it a little bit differently.
1: So you're already talking like a lawyer, talking about defending claims. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, Yeah, so, but I mean, I would much rather plan to avoid the claim than to have to defend it. So what do you see employers actually doing wrong during orientation?
0: What I've been hearing a lot lately from clients is, I know I should have done this differently. I know we should have already changed this. This kind of Wearing the hair shirt, right? Because everybody thinks that whatever they've done, it's not good enough. So I think maybe it's important for people to hear that, that everybody kind of feels the same way. Like there's always more that you could have done. There's always something that could have been a little bit better. And we certainly aim to put ourselves in the best position possible, not just from a legal perspective, but for your employees. That's really the goal, right? That you have good employees that understand the role in the organization, that understand the policies that apply to them and know how to use them. And that everybody can be happy, right? Working in the organization. Um, But as far as what we do wrong, generally, we start out with the best of intentions, right? And I'll I'll say we, um, I spent about six years actually doing HR. I did the employment law for a while. And then I did HR for a few years because, you know, you're always Monday morning quarterbacking as the attorney. Um, and so I went to the front lines and did that. And so when I say we, this is you know, where I spent part of my time struggling with how do you, how do you get orientation to, to work? How does it um, give value and also to the employees and also to the employer? And I think what we do is we come in and say, we're going to tell them about all the super important stuff. Here's our harassment policy. Here's what to do if you're injured at work. Let's talk about our organizational culture And then six months later, what can they tell you about orientation? What happened in orientation? And I'd say virtually nothing. And I've been through multiple orientations. The last orientation that I went through, I was very conscious of it. I'd done my time in HR. I'd been in legal. I know employment law, or I think I do. And I went through orientation and like, I don't know, maybe a year later, We were looking at something and I was looking at it. I I ran across a document that I had signed during orientation. Nothing wrong with it, but absolutely no recollection of signing it. Right. And that's where most of our employees are day one, because they're not in the room mentally with HR. They're focused on their new job. All these other things that they're learning, like who the people are in their actual work group, what they're supposed to do. Is their, is their supervisor frustrated that they've spent all this time going through the process to hire this employee, and now the very first day they're there, they're going to go spend eight hours with HR. So, and that's really all I'm, I'm going to be able to do is point out all these problems. I observe problems. I don't necessarily have solutions to that.
1: Well, that's, you know, I think that's true. I mean, the hiring managers are anxious to get these people started, obviously. Nobody's hiring people they don't want and need right away. And then they show up for day one, and if it's a, a really good leader, they're ready to orient them to the job, onboard them, and really get things rolling. But oh no, well, first on day one, we're going to send them over here to HR to or whoever's doing orientation, uh, and uh, so you really don't get them till tomorrow, and uh, and so we're going to beat them down with a ton of information. And I think you're right. I, you know, I'm. After running my own show for almost, you know, 24, 25 years now, I'm almost unemployable. But I do recall the one time I had to go through a company's formal orientation process early in my career. And I remember the room and I remember being painfully bored. But other than that, you know, I don't know that anything except, uh, you know, the Subway sandwiches they, they brought in at lunch, uh, you know, sticks out to me and, and, or was absorbed. I think, I think employees are drinking from a fire hose. They're coming in jittery, jittery nervous about their first day. They want to make an impression uh, and, and they want to get into this job that they've accepted and hopefully are excited about. And, and kind of now they're sitting here with maybe a group of other people in other departments who they may never talk to again to uh, go through, uh, you know, this this kind of company boot camp thing. Um, and you mentioned HR. Is that, do you, you know, I think it's true, but is, is HR the right place to house orientation?
0: In some respects, yes. There are some things that are absolutely HR that's going to, who, who's going to be responsible for doing your investigations typically. And um, they're going to need to be talking about that policy. They're going to need to talk about Supervisor ought to be able to also, but to talk about things like FMLA, workers' comp, injury reporting, that sort of thing. That said, what, what HR gets tasked with so many times is culture. And HR can't do culture by itself. I mean, it's just not it's not possible. And it's, you know, it was frustration for me when I was doing HR that you have basically a CEO who says, well, culture is really important and I must have a really good culture and that's what people need to know about this organization. And then he disappears, right? And, And HR can't carry that culture thing. You can't create culture without the leadership of your organization. And if they're not walking the walk, it doesn't matter how much HR talks the talk. So yes, I think that's a very good point that, HR is not necessarily the place that all of orientation belongs, but there are a lot of different facets of
1: orientation. So do you kind of separate out the orientation you know, piece, the company policies? These are our values and hopefully our leaders are leading or living up to them. Um, and this is how, you know, this is our culture stuff. And hopefully you'll find that this is how we do it in reality. Uh, and so that part's there and it's just, but it's just the beginning of the bigger onboarding process. And we are going to hand this, um, this new employee back to their manager now. And it's up to the manager to acculturate them. And if that's a word and, uh, you know, help them be successful in their new role.
0: You know, I think that, you know, like we said earlier, it's, not something that's all on HR and the supervisors want them in the organization, but not all supervisors are created equal. And the job kind of drives that too. I talked about um, orientation a few weeks ago with our local HR group. And, you know, I asked the question, how do you, do, how do you do it or orientation in your organization? And one person was like, we do a full day and then we do two hours a day for three weeks. And I'm like, that's fantastic. I think it's great if you can do it. I don't think that's possible for a lot of organizations. I think that um, it, that's something that's part of this whole conversation is that orientation has to be something that fits your organization. When you take, for example, the municipal environment, and you have people who work in crews. You can't pull one of them out every day and miss two hours. You talk about frustrating your supervisors, right? Right. Um, that's, that's problematic. And you also have people who work on different shifts. How do you bring them back together consistently as a group? Um, so I like the idea of it, but I think that anybody who's looking at reevaluating their orientation has to consider the way their organization works. One of the other considerations is some organizations like a municipality have a lot of very different functions. Um, so it's, It's not necessarily doing one thing. You have people who are putting out fires. You have people who are enforcing laws. You have people who are collecting trash, people who are taking care of your parks. They all have this really wildly different functionality, but a lot of companies have a single mission, more or less, and then everything else exists to support that. I think in that kind of environment, it's much easier to kind of craft your onboarding in a way that works for all of your employees, for all your types of employees. So I think depending on what you have, you may have a greater need for kind of a hybrid orientation onboarding process where you're pulling in the supervisors and the supervisors have to take a big role in that. That said, some supervisors get a new employee once every 10 years. So then how do you, that's another conversation too. You've got to prepare those people. Um, I think that you have to take a you know a look at whether your organization ever hires supervisors from outside. And if they do, do you have a separate orientation for the supervisors? Cuz or do you have a different program within your organization that when someone's preparing to attempt to promote or someone has just been promoted that they have supervisory training? Because that's a distinct thing too. You don't necessarily need to bore everybody that's coming through orientation with that information.
1: And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. 23 years ago, I founded Imperative to help risk-averse companies make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. Often that involves giving employers thorough and easy-to-understand background checks on prospective employees. But sometimes it means helping families make well-informed decisions when hiring nannies or other caregivers. And outside of employment, we help services firms with their client acceptance and know-your-customer requirements. And we help investors research the principles and firms in which they are considering making private equity placements. Basically, if people are involved, there's risk involved. We help companies identify and mitigate that risk. You can learn more about Imperative at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on recert credits. Then select episode 62 and enter the keyword Clifton. That's C-L-I-F-T-O-N. And now back to my conversation with Catherine Clifton. You know, performance management, expectations. Here's what, how, you know, for a new employee, they, we ought to be telling them, here's how you're, you know, here's how we we manage performance and here's what the expectations are and all that. But that's going to be really different from what you're telling a, a new hire versus when you're talking to a supervisor, Uh, you know, a new leader in the organization about here's how we want you to manage performance. And here's what our expectations are of you as a leader. Uh, and um, you know, we, We expect you to be on top of these, you know, these issues and be talking to employees about performance issues on an ongoing basis. And we, if we still do performance reviews on an annual basis, we don't want you to wait till the performance review comes around to bring these issues up. We want it to be an ongoing. So those would be two completely different training objectives. And so I could see that. Um, And I haven't seen it much, but what you said earlier, I mean, I've always thought this, you know this drinking from a fire hose experience and telling somebody here's what our FMLA policy is. And here's what our, you know, PTO policy is. And here's what here's your health insurance. And let's just force feed you all of everything about all the benefits in the same, in the same sitting. It's gotta be unsuccessful. I mean, it's just not going to be. And so, but going back, I don't know how many employers, I mean, certainly we do around sexual harassment, hopefully, and some of the things that are very likely to get us sued, but, I mean, how often do we revisit with employees uh, on some sort of training? Here's what our FM, FMLA policy is, or here's what our our leave policy that goes beyond FMLA is, and because uh, often those are the things that get figured out in crisis. Right? Okay, I've suddenly I've you know my spouse has had a heart attack, or I've got I've just got this diagnosis, or whatever, and now I'm scrambling to try to figure out. So I go to my supervisor and say, Hey, what? Tell me what's happened. What I do here? Uh, and the supervisor doesn't know either, and, oh, call HR, and it's Friday at 4 o'clock, and HR is already at happy hour, so, you know, what are we going to do? Um, so, yeah, I could see where having ongoing training, you know, just supplemental to tell everybody, it may be a good investment to say, 15 minutes. Here's what FM, Here's what our leave policy is. And here's what happens when you need leave. And here, reach out to, this is your contact person.
0: That's another place that it's really helpful for your supervisors to have that training on FMLA so that they recognize, hey, my employee's been out for three days. HR, if they're running reports through payroll, may not know for two weeks that you had an employee that was out for more than three days. Your supervisor presumably knows and needs to be able to recognize that to go, hey, do I. Most important thing the supervisor can know, right, is when do I call HR and for the supervisor to know that for the supervisor to know enough about the Fair Labor Standards Act to know, hey, you, you can't have people. Well, we're just going to have a meeting while you eat lunch you need to know that's compensable time. I mean, there are things like that that your your employees don't necessarily need to know, your frontline employees, but your supervisors need to know. Um that can not just kind of help gatekeep but also kind of help remind the employees when they have an event that maybe it's FMLA or a leave issue like you talked about that they're that supervisors see themselves as a resource not just for how to do the specifics of their assigned job but how to navigate the organization.
1: So you talked about FMLA. What what other things should we cut? Co- make sure we cover in this orientation?
0: You know, I think that's part, part of it. When we talk about maybe staging orientation, that you have to really decide on your priorities. And I think culture is enormously important. I think if you have a really great culture, then you can avoid a lot of potential liability just by nature of the culture. The reality is that, that kind of culture is really pretty difficult to achieve, right? And you have organizations who say, well, we don't worry about culture. You have a culture, whether whether you did something for it or not. Um, So I don't want to discount the importance of culture, but it's not going to, if you don't teach that the first day, it's not necessarily going to present a liability issue for you. So there's also this question of, Do you want to check a box or do you want employees to actually understand? And that's true on your harassment policies. And in in reality, for the harassment policy, both. You've got to check that box. You've got to get their signature on it. You've got to train them on it. You also need to recognize, I think, that that day one orientation, they're probably not retaining that much from it. Very individual to the employee, how much they can actually take away from Six hours, eight hours of training, but it's something that you just need to be aware of and revisit it. And hopefully, you're doing annual training on to your policy, etc. But it needs to be covered day one. Um, other things that we need to cover: you mentioned um, healthcare, and one of one of the things that happened to me—not a great deal, but enough that it kind of leaves a mark. You have open enrollment or new hire enrollment and you have people that they have 30 days to turn their information back in and you want to give them that time because you want to have them be able, you know, go home, talk to your spouse, figure out what coverage you need, that sort of thing. Healthcare is enormously complicated, not just to use, but to figure out which options do I need. So go home and make those elections, but turn it back in and you have to do it within 30 days. And if they don't, you don't necessarily know that, you know, maybe they have coverage through, through their spouse and they didn't want to do it in an election. And so I had situations where six months down the road, you have a supervisor saying, why doesn't my employee have health insurance? They didn't turn in their enrollment information. And so I think that's one thing that needs to happen in orientation too, that you give them the information, that they sign off, that they've received it. You may not have them turn it in that day, but sign off and sign off that they receive something saying this is the date they have to turn this in. Because nobody comes and says, "Oh no, I'm concerned because there was no deduction in my first check for health insurance." They come in when I went to the doctor and I don't have coverage. So I think that's one of the big, the big things that needs to be covered right up front. Um, you need to. We talked about the harassment policy. You need to talk about the duties of an employee in an investigation. If there's going to be an investigation, it shouldn't be a surprise to them that, hey, I'm required under our policies to cooperate with the investigator. This is what I have to do. This is what it means. It's investigations are scary for people, but if they know up front what the expectations are and it's not new information when you're like, oh hey, Mike Coffey's going to come call going to be calling you and you're going to have to talk to him. Well wait, I'm supposed to tell him what? Telling the truth about what? Whatever he asks you, right? So that's a little easier for people to take when it's not the first time they've heard it, when it's actually happening. Um, And then I think accident reporting and workers' compensation issues really, the reporting part of it is the part that has to happen. Um, And for people to understand, because there's that risk, not necessarily to the employer there, but to the employee that. They have something that they go see their primary p- position for, and then the insurance is like, "Hey, this looks like it's work related. You should have had you should have gone to workers' comp. Now they've passed their deadlines for workers' comp. Insurance isn't going to pay it. They need to understand those pieces up front. Um, so those are those are the things like to minimize liability. Those are kind of my top issues. Like cover this the first day, but don't think that's enough either. Don't think that people are going to. Walk out of there, and you never have to have those conversations again.
1: And then, like you said, been a health insurance, but probably also the four hundred and one k benefits or whatever investment plans you have in place, and and those allocations. You've got certain windows. You've got to make elections there.
0: Right. If you have if you have a a limited window to set up your any retirement contributions, absolutely.
1: So you got. We want to talk about FMLA. We want to talk uh, accident reporting. I think that's probably one that uh, I say I've only been through one one formal orientation in my life and I don't, and it was in healthcare. I'm sure there had to have been something about accident reporting in there and, uh, and bloodborne pathogens and stuff, but I just don't recall ever hearing it until later uh, when I was actually on the HR side of an issue. Um, But uh, so health insurance leave policies, Uh, accident injury, whatever cultural kind of things we might have, um, attendance policies and PTO are probably important to cover there and what the process for requesting time off is. You want to
0: talk about what conduct is unacceptable and you want to talk about what do you need to report? What kind of, what kind of criminal violation needs to be reported immediately? I mean, things like that. There's kind of this first priority and then all these other things that really need to be covered, whether it's day one or whether you maybe bring them back in two weeks and say, we're just going to get together for two hours and have another conversation. Um, They also all of your employees, not just your supervisors, need to know, when do I call H.R.? They need to understand they don't have an expectation of privacy, generally speaking, that's in most policies. You've got no expectation of privacy in your email and your computer and your desk, etc. Yeah. Everything else. Like, do they have a, do they have a required response time for getting to work? That sort of thing. Then the things that are more specific to the kind of job they have, the kind of employer you are, that kind of
1: thing. And you know, the brain can only absorb what the butt can endure. So what do you think the ideal amount of time is? Uh, you know, is it four, half a day, six hours, the full, full blown eight hours the first day? How much, how much time can you really expect that an employee is gonna get any value out of, uh, of an, uh, this kind of event? I
0: think some of it, that depends on how you do orientation. Um, some places still do facility tours. I think in some respects, if you're breaking up your orientation, if you're if you're breaking up your time in the chair, time on your feet, you can take a little bit more. You have that physical activity break. Not like, I don't know, somebody's doing jazzercise in the middle of orientation, right? But if you're if you're up and walking around, it also gives people a little more context for okay, if I have a notion of where things are in the physical space, then that helps me understand and remember which departments exist, or you get information like, if you need to go, if you need to get something to accounts payable, you go here. I think things like that are helpful. So a lot of that, a lot of, you know, the duration question has to do with how it's structured. Um, I think that you could also support a lot of it with information that's available on your intranet. Like, maps and that sort of thing or resources and get people accustomed to going there. If you have, you know, a training software where you typically have employees go and do things online, some of it can be done online. I don't think there's a substitute for face-to-face training. Um, So I think that needs to be at least part of it, but you can do a little bit of both to help with retaining that information. And then I think that some of it can be pushed out, especially something like workers comp or the injury reporting can be pushed out to your departments. As long as you've got somebody in those departments that's trained to do that training, to do that orientation.
1: That they'll actually and we will actually schedule and do it right. I mean, that's, and, and get a piece of paper that says, yeah, we've done that and, and somehow get that in the employee's files saying, yeah, we really did tell them. You know. And
0: it's also an opportunity when you're doing something like that to give all those employees that have been there for 15 years, they all get a refresher too. Let's all just sit down and have a conversation mm-hmm. about it.
1: How important is it that orientation be fun? Because when you start Googling employee orientation, I see a lot of things. Fun orientation, fun icebreaking, fun blah, blah, blah. And, and we're not here to have fun. This is work. And I mean, you know, and I think you can have genuine connections without making this a, a day long party. But there's, you know, how much connection, how much how important is it to you And that that this be unlike the rest of this person's work experience probably and and be somewhat, you know, be fun or, you know, all of that.
0: I don't think it is. And that's really anecdotal personally, right? The last orientation I went through, I have this recollection that there were hula hoops on the floor at one point and we went and stood in the hula. And I don't remember. And that's the thing. I don't remember why I remember the hula hoops. Maybe I didn't, maybe, maybe that wasn't fun enough for me. Um, I remember overall having like a positive impression of the guy who did the majority of the orientation. But in terms of like taking away, wow, I really learned something about this organization, about the culture. And, you know, I'm a little bit differently situated than a lot of employees because I've done my time as a benefits administrator. You know, I've done my time in payroll, that kind of thing. So all those things click for me differently than they do for most employees. I think that that's not their work. Um, But I don't think necessarily fun. But I also don't think things have to be fun to be engaging. Now, engaging, yes, it needs to be engaging enough for people to retain the information or to at least retain enough to know this person talked about harassment. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but now this thing has happened. Maybe I can go talk to that person.
1: And I've got the resource. I've got a handbook and I've got a, I have got. know where to go find the right resources in, in the event that I don't recall all the details. Right.
0: And I, you know, that's an interesting thing about HR that you bring up, like, is it supposed to be fun? Um, and I, I think that's kind of a, a misnomer, right? it's a common thought about HR that they're supposed to be like the teddy bear and everybody's friend and people yeah. tend to miss the, the fact- The party planner. Right, yeah. right. That HR is a control function, right? I mean, HR exists to protect the organization from liability. They're also a great resource for things like what do I do for my retirement? What do I do about my health insurance issue? That kind of thing. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're in I mean, nobody likes to admit it, but we're in the business of procuring the labor we need to execute the company's, you know, mission. Our job is not to make uh, you know, it's not to everybody happy or any of that. It's, you know, we need to keep employees engaged to the extent that we need them engaged in order to, you know accomplish what the, the, you know, the organization is set out to do. And, and, you know, and a big part of that, execute that mission, make a profit in many cases and, or stay in budget or whatever our accountabilities are. And, uh, but HR isn't your enemy, but it's not necessarily your friend either. I mean, that's, and that's what people have to, to, to remember. And I, I think too many HR people, well, too many people who get in HR cause they love people and, uh, you know, I always tell people who are thinking about it, if they say they want to get into HR because they love people, well, you might want to second guess this because HR can make you hate people. I mean, you see, you know, right. you often see people at their worst in HR right. and, uh, and, and it's not, uh, you know, if you want to be of service to, to every individual that you come in contact with and all that HR may not be in the right place for you. Cause I mean, you, in HR, you work for the company and, It's. I don't think it's blasphemy to say that your first your first allegiance is is to the company's best interest, and you serve that best interest by making sure things are compliant, that we're not we're not creating you know we're not creating liability for the organization, and that we're retaining the talent we need. We're doing the things that need to be done in order to to uh, attract and and retain retain the talent, but it's also you know it's it's not. HR's job to make all your wildest dreams come true. Right. Right. It's not
0: Disneyland. It's work.
1: Yeah. So the one last question. So, so many people are working remote and often geographically remote beyond just, you know, it's, you know, I'm saving 15 minutes commute to the office. I'm in another state, uh, and employers are hiring people in different places and becoming multi-state employers where they never anticipated it before. Um, What do you recommend about orientation for these new employees? Um, Are we going to bring them in on site if there is an on site or, you know, uh, are we just going to do an eight hour zoom, God forbid, or, or, you know, how do you, how, what are our considerations at least for how we do orientation in, in a remote environment?
0: I think some of that depends on how you, how your work is done. Are most of your employees individual contributors? Are these employees individual contributors? Do they need to work as a team? One of the things that I experienced, uh, we had an office with about 17 employees, 12 authorized positions for attorneys. And pre-COVID versus post-COVID, we had four attorneys that were there in March of 2020 that were still there in December of 21. It's a lot of turn. We brought a lot of new people in that went through orientation online and then they worked with their peers online. And I think when you've had the opportunity to work with people in person, it's much easier to work with them in a remote environment because you have a context. Again, it's kind of anecdotal, my experience, but if I needed like help on a project, if we had a crisis on something those people that I had working relationships with in the office where you have this casual interaction and you learn about things that are going on because you just happen to chat about it that you miss when you're remote. Those are the things where you build the relationships and you know, not necessarily know who you can count on, but you develop an impression about who you can count on. So I think that in person is really important, not just for orientation, But for having some baseline for working together in person, um, which is a little bit different than just saying, oh, what do we do for orientation? I think ideally you give people an opportunity to work together in person. I don't think the orientation for a lot of issues in person is as important. I think that one of the harder things in the remote environment is, again, and I, I don't do I'm not a workers' comp attorney, but for some reason I've brought that up a lot, is what do you do if you're injured at home? Is that workers' comp? Right. And, you know, especially when you get into different states and everything's different. So I think there are things that with remote employees, it feels like, well, we don't really need to cover that. I don't know that that's true. Now, I do think the good thing is the opportunity for violations of certain policies are greatly reduced by people not physically being co-located. That's, that's a tremendous advantage. But I think there again, this is my non-answer, it really depends on your organization and how it works together. Um, just like there are a lot of different ways, like the people I talked about earlier that have the eight hour day and then an hour or two every day for three weeks. That's probably not gonna work for everybody, but it might work for some people. Might work for some people, especially if, You find it valuable to build teamwork across departments that you bring that orientation group back together and they have lunch once a month for six months. And maybe you do a little training, but maybe it's also just a way for your employees to develop contacts within the organization, learn about what other people do in other departments so they understand how it all fits together. I think those things are valuable, but it's got to be a very tailored
1: thing for your organization and your needs. Well, thank you that's all the time we have today but i sure appreciate you being on good morning hr Catherine. thank you and thank you for listening you can find previous episodes show notes and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on facebook instagram or youtube and don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts rob upchurch is our technical producer and i'm mike coffee as always don't hesitate to reach out if i can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.